I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. The whole focus of Thompson Wright Partners, and for me personally, is to help clients to successfully deliver change, to avoid becoming one of those statistics that Dan Leyland highlighted a few weeks back. That's why we established this podcast, so that we can all learn from each other's experience. My hope is that you'll pick something up from each episode that you can apply into your change programs moving forward. Maybe a tip that can help you move things forward or potentially avoid an issue that could derail your project. Today I'm joined by Anna Manaweu, someone who has spent a whole career within socially focused organisations. So it will be interesting to see how her approach and style differs from those in other episodes of the podcast. Well, uh, hi, Hannah. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're recording it the day after the UK Prime Minister announced the start of the relaxation of the pandemic lockdown in the UK. So uh, how have you been coping in the last seven weeks? Um, I, I've, it's been, been absolutely fine. I'm conscious of lots of people who've had lots of struggles. Um, we've been really fortunate. We've recently moved into a house. We were renting a flat while we were having our house renovated. Um, and we moved in in January and it was, it's got a garden. So we would have been in a one bedroom flat, sort of juggling lots of things. But as it's turned out, we're in a house with a garden. It's, the weather's been amazing. Um, I'm not nailing the homeschooling at all, but I'm sort of living <laughs> with that. <laughs> and yeah, it's been, we've been really fortunate. I'm aware of how many people are not in the same position as us. So not smug about it at all, but it's been fine. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think um, the, the, the sort of one common theme um, every time I ask that question is that people have gone through a massive amount of change in a very, very short period of time. Uh, and, and those of us that are accustomed to um, working in change and, and, and being in that sort of change environment have become accustomed to that um, and, and adapted to the change uh, a lot quicker than, than some of the other people have to be fair. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but you're probably right. It's like my preference for, or my, you know, actually I'm quite comfortable and enjoy change. So perhaps that's part of why it's felt quite comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So I was keen to get you onto the podcast um, as your career has sort of spanned sort of socially focused organisations, initially in the public sector, then in the non-for-profit um, and, and more recently in a for-profit organisation. Um, so I'm really interested to, to get your thoughts on the cultural differences and how that's affected your ability to deliver change in, in, in due course. But before we get into that, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so I've um, been working for about 20 years, so since I finished university, um, in the social housing sector. So um, that essentially providing um, affordable housing to people or low-cost housing options to people who need it. Um, and I started my career in a small, very small housing association in a um, fairly rural part of the country in Norfolk. Um, and then I worked at a local authority for five years, so I sort of had that exposure and experience of the decision-making processes and, and um, you know, local authority um, experience and processes. Um, so I worked there for about five years in different roles, and then I joined a housing association again that was a part of a large group, um, a group structure at that time that was starting to become national, and has since, and I, I left there over 10 years ago, but has since become very national and one of the biggest in the country. Um, and again, so that was a 
interesting experience of a different sort of culture and how decision making works in a group structure. Um, and then after that, I worked, I worked for a few other of the big, um, they're called G15 in the housing sector organisations. Um, in different roles, which have been um, a combination of either operations roles or business improvement and transformation roles that sit very closely with the operations. Um, so, and, and again, and then most recently, I've worked in a couple of for-profit organisations. So, as someone who's always felt that they've been a bit of a die-hard public sector person, it's been a really interesting three years working in, um, yeah, ultimately profit-making organisations and experiencing the differences in decision-making. And one of those was was also a startup, so the sort of dynamic and culture within a startup mm -hmm. for profit organisation versus a quite established traditional organisation is quite interesting as well. As, as you say there, the, the common theme through that is, is delivering change and uh, whether that was in your operational capacity initially or in the sort of business improvement or the wider sort of transformation and startup environment, it's about delivering that change. So what, what's, uh, what, which, which have you enjoyed the most? In terms of roles, or oh, in in, yeah, in terms of in terms of roles and, and and challenges, I suppose. In terms of enjoyed them, I've they've they've all had different um, things about them. I've enjoyed so actually being part of um, a large G15 housing association for six years. I loved it there, and I've you know I still I still refer to that as our as if I still work there, um, and got some huge experiences there, and it was a really um, positive experience and delivered some really brilliant change and was part of. Um, some fantastic transformation there. So what was it about that though that you uh, that, that you specifically enjoyed then? Um, I think because so the, the main sort of biggest chunkiest change I delivered there was, was um, essentially a restructuring the way that a service was delivered. Sort of it was an internal team essentially delivering services to the more frontline staff. Um, we knew that it wasn't as cost effective as it could be and there was some there were some areas of duplication and there were some gaps. So it was about reviewing what the off existing offer was um, and identifying what the offer needed to be in the future and, and essentially designing the new structure. But I think why I loved it and I still feel really fond is that it was really effective change management with the involving the people. So I think we we sort of from the very outset, it was really important to take the people with us. Um, and we did that through a range of different ways. So it was through really regular, frequent, honest communication. We gave loads of opportunity for people to be actually involved in designing what the new service needed to look like and actually importantly before that we really involved people in identifying where the gaps were what yeah. the you know so being giving people the freedom to be and safety actually to be able to critique something you're already working in um it feels like that feels like a real success that we managed mm. to do that and we did we did have a couple of people that were less engaged but not really even the people that were more challenging or, or more resistant to the change we sort of worked closely with them and tried to identify what what they needed to be able to feel like they wanted to take part yeah. um, and then so we did so we identified the new structure it was quite a quite a big undertaking of change for people um, it was all you know people had to apply for new roles there weren't really there wasn't much matching so there weren't many roles that were the same for people so um, and we ended up with about 50% new staff, so new roles and new staff coming in, um, which we managed to do really quite quickly and get really good, strong quality people in. And um, the sort of success measures that I'm still really proud of are that we've got really high staff satisfaction um, for, for that division that year was, was the highest in the company. Um, having just been through all of that change and um, and with lots of new people, it's, that felt really positive. The, the, the 
what what it was set up to deliver the service it was set up to deliver was it really well received from the other parts of the business and there was a strong appetite they were constantly asking us that could you or could you just you know i'll pay you but can you also do this bit of service for me and um yeah it was a real it felt like a real success i think and, it, and i always reflect on that really fondly yeah i think it's uh it's it quite interesting the two or three things that you that, that you mentioned there um and time and time again it, it, the, it they are the key essentials of any change one is engaging with people really early on in the process Get, getting them to get involved in as you say critiquing the, the existing service but also um, taking ownership of of the design for the new one yeah. and then and that open and transparent communication um, you know those three things I've, I've found being essential parts of of any successful change yeah definitely okay great so um you know as, as we said earlier you've operated in public sector in for-profit non-for-profit organizations that have and, and you've also just mentioned there that you know dependent upon the size of organization that you've worked in different cultures and, and such like um so what have you noticed um about how you've delivered change in those different cultures what what are the sort of key lessons and key themes that you can you can pull out of those? Um, I was sort of thinking about this before we started. I think in terms of key lessons, um, one of the big things that I always try and hang on to myself, I don't always get it perfect, but is before you start something, be absolutely clear what problem it is you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you can, um, an organisation or an individual can can think there's something that's not working here but not spend the time to define what it is and also so what is the problem they're trying to solve and then start to jump forward straight into exploring what the solutions are or you know mm. is it a restructure a new post is it is it a new system but actually not being fully clear on what the problem is you're trying to solve and in my experience that it gives the chance of it something being successful um, it, it makes it much lower because there's not that clarity going through as to what it is you're trying to achieve and why mm. Um, and I've seen that. So in in um, in the startup organisation I worked for, we we needed to we needed a system really quickly because we were moving at such pace. But we didn't spend any sort of enough time exploring what the system needed to be able to do for us. So we jumped to a solution, and then not very soon into the um, organisation, so sort of probably less than a year really, um, we were already having to look at. Uh, you know then we we started a change program really early on in that organization to actually then start to explore right what do we need a system to do to for us in the future how can we try and as much as possible future proof it what might our aspirations be around you know systems and services in a few couple more years um so because i think we didn't spend the time at the beginning on that one we then ended up having to redo something so i think i think being clear about what problem you're trying to solve is really important absolutely Another another one is be really clear or make sure you've clarified as an organization your decision making um so both your decision making process who who makes the decisions and where and when so are you going to set up a project board and do you really mean it are they really the people that get to say it or is actually does it still go to the chief exec or whoever else and actually i think you can make successful change with any decision making as long as you do know what it is and people understand it so it doesn't if if the organization is quite autocratic and it is a chief exec that's okay as long as it's known 
Um, but also the sort of timing of that is really important. So I've seen change be less successful and slow down if actually access to the decision board or panel is really infrequent. So if you're trying to do, say, a project using agile sprints, yeah. actually your panel, your, uh, you know, the decision making board, the project board's only meeting once a quarter or something, it's totally out of, out of kilter and not aligned with your, the sort of what you're trying to create as a change program. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the decision making is really important. And then the other thing which I've already touched on, but it's about that staff engagement and communication. Um, and I think like, exactly as you said, it has to start from at the point you're starting, the inception of the fact that you think you might need to do some change or do some transformation. It's at that point that you start having the discussion and engaging people. No, yeah, I think it's very important. I think that you touched on some really interesting points there. You know, the, 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 the whole aspect of so, uh, project failure being as a result of getting uh, involved in solution orienteering too early in the process and not being clear about one what the problem is and two what the what the what, what where we're trying to get to um, um and and you know I, i've been involved in a number of organizations personally where um they they they've seen the you know they they they've got onto the the sort of uh, um, the process of looking for the next new shiny object um, because that's what you know that's what everyone says you need and you you, you jump into it re without really thinking and considering what it means to the organisation and some of the, some of these organisations have been the re you know very large organisations that have done this and and just gone down it with with without really considering what the impact would be on. On the wider business and and if you change this one part of the business over here what's the impact over here yeah. um and and i think that's where, where i found a lot of a lot of initiatives fail yeah. uh, oh, the, the initiative might be successful but in, as, as 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 a whole across the organization there's there's a massive failure well actually and that's one of the other points i was going to make is is what you just said then exactly it so the other really important thing is make sure that the organization understands the different strategic priorities mm -hmm. because otherwise you and I, and I think that's more of a risk in a large so to your point about my experience in some smaller organizations inevitably that's more of a risk in larger organizations where you might have more strategic things happening at more different part you know it, it's, it's it's harder to keep the communication clear isn't it um but certainly in the past where I've seen change not go as well has been you've got one you know say a system improvement project happening over here but somewhere over there, you're also reviewing some performance stuff that's going to directly impact on that. And it's not yeah. happening at the right time. and There's not enough communication. So I think that some sort of strategic map or program management has to be in place. Yeah. Um, and I find it, it, it's definitely a case of looking at the whole end to end process. Yeah. So, you know, even if it's a system or, uh, or, or, or a uh, performance issue, um, if you just look at your little bit in that process and try to improve it without considering the end to end. Um, you might improve your bit, but the 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 end to end becomes really really inefficient. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so with, within the sort of social housing sector, uh, there's obviously an absolute focus upon delivering valuable services to the community, um, but the regulator uh, places their emphasis on value for money and governance um, with, with within the organisation. How does that uh, th those three elements affect your ability to deliver change and improvement? Um, I think. Oh, does it? Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I think I've, um, 
the, the current regulation of the social housing sector is actually so the point about value for money and governance and the focus on that is absolutely about organizations co-regulating mm -hmm. so they're board, boards themselves being responsible for making sure their organizations are effective but also co-regulating so with with your residents so that your actual customers are sort of defining or certainly informing um what it is you're doing for them and how you're doing it so if you if you're operating if you're a housing association in an area where um, something like grounds maintenance and caretaking is hugely important. So if you're someone who has mostly estates, and those are going to be the biggest issues, whereas a landlord in a different area might have a very different experience. So we, um, when I worked for the for-profit housing association Sage, we were buying mostly new. Well, we were buying new-build homes, which are mostly on quite nice new estates in fairly rural areas, mostly. And mm -hmm. um, the issues for that. But for Sage as a landlord and the priorities for the majority of our residents can be very different from a inner city landlord with lots of blocks and things. So the, the regulator really is saying they want the boards to govern and to understand the business and make sure that the business is being effectively managed and that for you to sort of deliver the services that are most important to your residents. Um, and in terms of actually that gives quite a lot of freedom for any change you want to undertake. Um, it, it means that there's rightful scrutiny of that change and that it's on the right thing so for example if an organization that did have in a city flat you know blocks of flats started to say it was going to do oh, i don't know something that wasn't very meaningful to those residents you would expect to get a lot of scrutiny from your board to say hang on a minute why are we investing in this it's not a priority and yeah. um, so that's where it comes into play but no i think it's certainly compared to previous iterate previous iterations of regulation which have been much more um prescriptive actually i think this the current regime does give more freedom for change right okay and, and does that also mean that you one of your key stakeholders in that ch change sort of agenda are the tenants are, are the customers absolutely i mean you should for, for effective organizations I, I can't imagine how your customer wouldn't always be a key stakeholder um, any organization whether you're a social housing landlord whoever your customer is surely it's always going to be a one of your key stakeholders but yes certainly for social housing yeah but i think the difference is um, um in social housing uh, typically your customers your tenants will be on the board it's it's ha in, in in a more commercial environment that doesn't that is very rarely the case oh i sorry i see what you mean so someone who could be your governance yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's actually increased well it's it's um not not there's not always a tenant board member but you're right there is in some in in probably about half and half i think now um traditionally there used to be a lot more resident board members than there perhaps are these days mm. um, but yeah in terms of so that so the scrutiny but there is as part of the governance structures there are sort of um customer panels and resident panels that form part of that so much more accountability to those about what are you doing how are you doing it where are you spending you know if you're undertaking a change program that's costing quite you know got quite a big budget what's the outputs what does it mean for residents what's improving so yeah there's definitely a lot of scrutiny on that okay. and, and, and from that then what approaches do you adopt that uh, ensures that you can track the value that's being delivered on any program that you're you're managing um i think um i don't know if this is stating sort of too much of the obvious but i think having a clear you know clear budget from the outset i think trying to um use really effective um cost benefit analysis um throughout 
and and essentially measuring what what impact any changes you've had have have had um so if going back to the example you said earlier one of the um, re restructure um actually what was how much was that service costing how much is it costing now what are some of the differences that are being delivered yeah yeah um, the, the reason I the reason I was asking Hannah is that um, again in my experience a, a lot of, a lot of times uh, programs are not formally assessed um, and um, yes you've got a, a business case that's been developed and in many cases not not challenged that effectively so if the numbers stack up you get you get the go ahead to go um, and and then the benefits are not effectively tracked to the bottom line. So, so when you come back at some point in the future to say, has that five million pound investment delivered that fifteen million pounds worth of value? People sort of like, yeah, of course it has. Okay, can you demonstrate? Well, it's a bit hard to do. Um, so, I just wondered whether or not you know by having that sort of absolute focus upon value for money um, and and that oversight, whether or not um, you know that some some of the some of your practices that you've you've adopted within within the social housing world could could easily be translated into into a more commercial environment. Um, I think organisations um, are improving. So I think historically, um, organisations haven't always been great. Or in my experience, the organisations I've worked in, we haven't always been great at that follow up monitoring. So we set out at the beginning what we're expecting to achieve and why we're doing something. So if it's to save money or be more effective, and then we say that we will check in on that after but we've not been brilliant and actually monitoring that and actually knowing what has that improved or what what has it done but um i think off the back of the value for money monitoring um and returns that you have to send back every year to the regulator i think that has helped organizations focus and there's a much stronger focus now on return and investment so at the beginning setting out your expectation on the return on investment and then being able to say what has it delivered that why not what has it delivered in Dead. so because people know they need to be able to do that for the um value to money responses but also actually just because that is about being an effective business i think organizations are trying to get better at it yeah. so that is improving all the time but it's still i would say it's still an area that it needs to be further progressed and and how do you go about establishing sort of the right conditions and, and maintaining momentum as you go through your change uh, change initiatives I, I know we've spoken a little bit about engagement but what other what other aspects do you do to sort of create those right conditions for success making sure you've got a bit of structure around what you're trying to achieve to keep things moving and stop it sort of drifting um, so again how formal that is depends on the organizations i've been in so when i was in um the large organization i talked about we were quite we had a sort of project methodology um we were following that you know you had your particular paperwork and your process and your governance boards um when i was in the startup for profit was much more agile by virtue of the fact it was a startup yeah. um, and so actually we just had a meeting in the diary every week that was you know and we did we did have some structure around it I'm not undervaluing it at all but it was not the same it wasn't as it was much more output focused mm. so our meeting every week we but also we would regularly review things like who were the right people still there at the right at that point in the project so when we were at the early inception of, of um, a new contract that we were putting in place some of the people in the room didn't need to be further down the line so they went and then so other people came in so yeah. i think keeping it under review but also having some structure around it does keep a project moving and stop it from drifting 
which do you prefer then? That's uh, the more agile or the more structured or, or is it horses for courses? Um, I think my very, very natural preferences would probably be for the more agile approach, but I think it would depend in what environment. I think that agile approach would not necessarily work in an organisation that's larger and you, you know, you need more, um, you need to follow a sort of formulaic approach to yeah. be aligned with other parts. So if I had, if I was more agile in that environment, that would probably, it, it probably wouldn't feel like the project was going to be successful. So I do think it depends on where, what, where you are, what, and, and also what it is you're delivering. Um, but I think my probably my natural pre preference is for pace and um, the agile approach. Right, and and um, just coming back, um, probably towards the sort of final question, I suppose I have. Um, and, and just looking at, as you say, the, the experience that you had within the, the local authorities and then within the various sort of uh, social housing non-for-profit and then moving into the for-profit. Uh, for um, did, did, you, did you notice any, any, any real difference in approach or any real difference in the drive to, to change and the drive to transform the organisation? Yeah, I mean, when I, I worked at the local authority and I finished in 2007, so I'm going back quite yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah. But I, I definitely remember after I've been there for five years, when I started working for quite a large, a fairly commercially minded housing association, that that felt really liberating in terms of, oh my goodness, you can sort of, compared to the local authority, the decision making and, and also the... Um, devolved authority so local authority at that time and it was a good one it was a really reputable local authority but the decision making was really um hierarchical and and there was very little default devolved decision making you know even things like i was at one point i was a homelessness officer and it, your case decision all had to be signed off by somebody right. um and things like that which i'm just not sure that's practical or really you know you, you might do the quality assure a certain number of cases but I don't know if everyone should be signed off things like that so it went from that sort of level of decision you know delegated authority then move into a housing association where actually there was much more freedom so I then and, and possibly it could be that I got a much more senior role so I worked directly into the managing director but you know if, if we wanted to try out some new customer surveying software and I and I thought and I made a good business case I could have £10,000 by, by next week yeah. um, and we could find a way to get it in the budget and speak to the finance director and that was done um, so that felt a lot freer um, then when I went to the for-profit new housing association so it was it, I always say to people it's like being a startup but with money yeah um, which I know sounds like the dream to lots of people. And, it, and, it, and in many ways it was. It was like having a blank piece of paper. So what would you want the organisation to do and how would you want them to do it? Um, and obviously working within our, what our investors' expectations were for that. But that was really liberating again because that really was, you know, okay, so do we think we want to structure it with this type of team? Okay, let's try that for six months. And it would be, if anything, the pressure there came from actually delivering quickly enough the things that we wanted to do because there was so much freedom and yeah. so so given given that sort of combined experience if you were to go back into um a, a sort of non-for-profit or back into, into into the sort of wider public sector how do you think those different experiences will will help you what 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 things will you pull from each one of those sort of experiences that you can sort of apply into the, your next challenge, shall we say? Yeah, I think um, I think the 
um, some of the sort of discipline and structure of um, things like having your defined project board and decision making at the beginning. Um, my large established housing association so some of that that you do need and, and to my point earlier about one of the most important things is knowing who is going to make that decision and mm. where can you get that decision made for keeping things moving who's going to who's going to decide the budget who's going to agree the spend etc yeah. so some of that structure and formality even if it feels more casual does need to be defined at the outset and so i'd take i would take that from the kind of housing for not-for-profit housing association bit the agility and the trialing things out um, and the pace I would try and recreate from that from the for-profit uh, for yeah. startup environment so trying to really challenge well actually why couldn't we make that decision next week you know why does that have to wait three months for a project board let's let's create the structure that helps us to make agile decisions and keep moving quickly yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I'd probably try and combine those two elements and, and I, I suppose that the, the, the sort of key to doing that is getting as and you touched on it earlier getting that sort of delegated authority into the sort of project board and and, and having almost like a sub project board rather than a, a, that's got that authority to make decisions up to a certain point to yeah. keep that agile sort of process going and i think yeah exactly exactly that and also what i've experienced is that a few times you might end up setting that up when you get blocked and it's not quite working whereas actually if you proactively set that up in advance how much more yeah, powerful would that be you know it's, it's being proactive with it isn't it rather than waiting until you're problem solving absolutely okay one question i ask everybody um is if you could boil down all of your experience down to one takeaway what would that be engage people for me it's all about the people yeah and it's all about treating them as individuals as well isn't it because uh, like you say, uh, some people will want to know the detail, others will just want to know the strategy. Yeah. Others will, 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 will always look at the negatives while some will look at the positives. But it's about understanding the dynamics within each, each, each individual and yeah. trying to, uh, as, as you said right at the start, take them on the journey with you. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Hannah. Uh, that was really useful and, and, and very insightful. Um, we occasionally get questions coming in. Are you happy if I sort of collate those to, to answer any questions um, yeah, on an individual basis? Yeah, and if anybody wants to speak to me about any more about any of the experience, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Excellent. Well, thank you very much and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Okay. Bye. Once again, thanks, Hannah. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to get involved in a future episode, please let me know and we can jump on a call to discuss your experience in more detail. As I said at the start, Thompson Wright Partners' sole focus is to help organisations to successfully deliver change. We do this by providing you with access to a network of experienced transformation programme and change leaders. Lots of organisations are now starting to look to the future and adapt their ways of working as we come out of the crisis. If you think you need some support in pulling your plans together, please do get in touch. We would be delighted to help. As they say, it all starts with a conversation. See you soon.